Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The last two weeks we have been um, studying, giving, finances in the church. Uh, as we go through the Bible, we go through book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and so we don't want to skip over anything. Uh, some topics are easier to talk about than others, and so we've been discussing giving in the life of a Christian. Let me read verses 1 through 15, then we're going to dive in. I like to kind of have an overview. I like to read all the verses first, uh, get the big picture, and then come back and take it off in small pieces. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed or embarrassed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say... But, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever." Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your indescribable gift. It's amazing all that you do in a life that surrendered to you. It's amazing the cross of Jesus, your whole plan of, of redemption and salvation that you would make a way for us to be forgiven and to have you dwell inside of us and change us from the inside, change the way we think, change the way we feel. It's all amazing, Lord, and it's a gift from you. Thank you. As we study, Lord, have your way with us. May we walk in your ways. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look back at chapter 8, verse 1, if you would. Uh, it's the same topic. Basically, the issue is this. The church at Corinth, previous to this writing, a year previous, had planned to give some money to some people that were impoverished in Jerusalem. So it was a Gentile church in Greece giving money to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. There was a famine going on, and so there was a definite need. They had said about a year before that, we'd love to be involved, but they never followed through. So the Apostle Paul is helping them follow through. 
He's sending some guys and he's saying, hey, we've been telling everybody about your readiness to give and it's been encouraging other people to be generous as well, so you've been a good example and so we're, we're going to send some guys down there to collect those funds and then very carefully take them down and deliver those funds to those who are in need. But one thing that we see back in chapter 8, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And I just want to point out one word. Paul says, in those churches in, in Greece and in the region of Macedonia, the grace of God was poured out on a group of people so that they were generous. They had generous hearts. You've been approached, I've been approached to give to this cause or to that cause and maybe you hand somebody a couple bucks or this or that or whatever the case may be. That's, that's all one thing. But there's something very special ha- that happens in the life of a Christian when God moves on your heart and he makes you to be a generous person. Not giving more than you have to give, but giving for the right reasons, having a, a, an eternal view. Trusting that God will take what you give to a cause or to a person, to a church or an organization, expressions of hope, whoever, and that he'll use it for his purposes. Coupled with the willingness, there's, there's a happiness to do it. There's a joy in doing it. Faith is involved. Perspective is involved. It's not just responding to a plea. It's seeing something that, that could happen, that needs to happen, and doing it. And the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter, or excuse me, first, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia in great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty they gave. So I like this, this phrase that I coined. It's called grace giving. Giving to the, to the kingdom of God, giving to the purposes of God, to a church, to an organization, to people that you know, grace giving, you're moved by the grace of God. His divine work in your heart has caused you to have all these other components. It's not just handing some money out, but it's having eternity in view, having a heart that's for people and for the kingdom of God. To do it with joy, it's called, that's what I like to call grace giving. And so I'm going to be using that phrase because I think it's a wonderful phrase. And the title of this message today is What Grace Giving Does. What does it produce in other people? What happens when a Christian is moved by, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, to be generous with their property, to be generous with uh, their money, with their time, with their possessions. Particularly, we're talking about money today, but what happens when God moves upon the heart of a Christian and they're generous in such a way that other people notice? There's a lot of things that happen that are wonderful. So he says here in verses 1 and 2, and look at verse 2, I know your willingness. So the, the Corinthians there, in, in verses 1 and 2, there was a willingness of, for them to give. And Paul had been bragging about them. It was a holy brag. So there's a, there is such a thing as a holy brag. <laughs> they weren't bragging about themselves. They were, it's better, a holy brag isn't when you brag about yourself. No, we'll just leave that out. It's nice when somebody else speaks well of you. It's nice when somebody looks at your life and goes, you know, that person, they're generous. They don't, they don't announce it. They don't blow the trumpet. They don't create a Facebook page about patting themselves on the back for all that they give to people. But I've, I've noticed, without even trying to look, I've noticed that person, they're generous. And that's what Paul's been saying about the Corinthians. Their readiness and their willingness to give was noticeable in such a way that it, that it prompted other people, the Macedonians, to also be ready to give. Their, notice, their willingness to give was noticed as a godly example. Look at your notes there. 
there's a principle in the Christian life that the way we live affects other people. I'm sure you guys know that. Now, this is a different group of people, but the, the principle that's found in this verse, in these verses, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the people at Thessalonica, and he says, you yourselves know how you ought to, how you ought to follow us. We were not disorderly among you. We didn't need anybody's bread free of charge. We worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, notice, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul was talking to a different group of people, not the Corinthians, but he just basically said to them, we lived a certain way in front of you because we wanted to be an example of how you should live. And so you guys know that. You guys have been affected positively by certain Christians who live in such a way that you look at their life and you admire it and you just say, I, you know, I want to I be like that guy. I want to be like that gal. I want to follow that example. In Hebrews 10.24, look at your notes. It says, let us consider one another to... Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider our relationships and how we might encourage other people to do the right thing with their Christian life, with their lives. And certainly, we can encourage people to do the right thing by us doing the right thing ourselves. Amen? Our lives are noticeable. We don't live in a vacuum. We live out in, in public. We live out in the open. Much of what we do is, is viewable and noticeable. And so we want to stir one another up for love and good works. We try to teach our children these things, don't we? We try to teach our kids about being generous, about sharing. I love to, I love to tease my grandchildren, our grandchildren. Sorry, honey. It's been hot lately, so we'll give them a popsicle. And, and, and my, my grandpa nickname is Poppy. So in case you didn't know, I know you needed to know that. So I'll go to my grandkids and I'll say, hey, so-and-so, give Poppy a bite. No. Give Poppy a bite. No. I said, well, is it good to share? Yes, Poppy. Then share. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, so okay, when when you come over on Thursday for dinner then, we're not going to give you any dinner. And that's okay, isn't it? No, Poppy. So it's good when Grandma and Poppy share, right? Yes, Poppy. Give me a bite of your popsicle. <laughs> it usually works. It's more of a lesson than it is about the popsicle. But we teach our kids to be generous, don't we? God teaches us to be generous as well. We want to teach our children to be generous people. Who loves to raise a stingy child? None of us. We would never want our kids to be stingy. But when we give, when we, when we live generous lives, our children see that. So the Apostle Paul says, okay, Corinthians, that's, what, that's the effect that you guys had on the people in Macedonia. So I hope among us that we have that effect on everybody that knows us. The second thing he says here, so number one, grace giving prov- provokes other people to give. Number two, grace giving is prepared giving. Look at verses three and four. I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Grace giving is not an afterthought. It's a forethought. He's telling the Corinthians, you, you indicated that you wanted to give, and you haven't yet, but we believe that you still want to, so get ready so that when these men show up, you'll be ready. As we give to the Lord, look at your notes there, that we may be ready and not be unprepared. And so when we give to, to people, 
even when you give to someone on the street, hopefully you're living a life, your Christian life, in such a way that you're thinking about, and you're kind of aware, what's in my wallet, what's in my purse, what's in my bank account, isn't just for me. God has given me X amount of money to manage for his kingdom, for his purposes. Now, some of that is to pay rent for the house and all these other things, but some of it is, as Paul mentioned, discretionary spending. When God prompts my heart, I'm going to be ready to give. So we live that way, and somebody approaches you on the street, hey, can you help me out? You shoot up a quick prayer. You think, yeah, I can help this person. The next person, maybe not. Case-by-case scenario. But the point is, when we are grace givers, there's a readiness. There's always a readiness. If we're not grace givers, then, then when the opportunity comes, then you have to stop and think it over and decide. When the opportunity comes, you have to think, well, I don't know if I really want to do this, and I haven't really thought about releasing any funds, and I, I wasn't really ready for this. If we're, if we're living with the mentality of God wants us to be givers, then it's already settled in your mind that you're going to be a giver. Now you just have to decide which scenario is appropriate, not whether you should or not. So to, to be a grace giver, you've, 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 you've understood ahead of time, God's made me to be a giver in whatever way, shape, or form that you, you work that out with the Lord. But these people here, Paul said, you need to be ready. You need to not be unprepared. Look at number five there under letter A. Grace giving comes from a giving heart which is a prepared and a convinced heart. So, my hope and prayer for every Christian here is that you would be convinced that God didn't give you all the money you have so you could spend it on yourself. He didn't. Not all your stuff is for you. Not all your possessions are for you. They're to be at the master's disposal as he directs you. Not as I, not as the church, not as other people, not as the person that's putting a manipulative you know, trip on you. Forget all that. You answer to the Lord. If you're a Christian, you answer to Jesus. Amen, guys? You answer to Jesus, so you decide what he's telling you to do, not what the church is telling you to do or anything. Like you do, when, when there's an opportunity to give, you decide at that moment whether this opportunity is good or not. You don't decide at that moment whether you should be a person that gives. That needs to be settled ahead of time. So... There's a principle of being prepared. Look down there a little bit further, 2 Timothy 2.21. Paul tells Timothy that we are to be sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And it certainly, certainly includes being generous with what we have to bless other people. Turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Turn to the left in your Bible, just a few pages. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Same idea. Now concerning the collection for the saints, those people in, in, in Jerusalem, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. He's basically saying this is how you ought to do it. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. It's real simple, but he just simply says, on the first day of the week, and they would meet on Sunday, they call that the first day of the week, whatever you've decided ahead of time, set it aside so that when the, the contingency comes to take relief money to the people in Jerusalem, it'll all be settled. You don't, want the, you don't want the contingency to show up and go, oh man, I forgot about that, I haven't been ready, and oh, hey honey, did you bring the checkbook? And No, it's already settled, it's already settled. So I'm a giver, there's a need, God's put this on my heart, We're gonna, it's, a, it's a prepared heart. It's a pattern for us. Grace giving is prepared giving. Look at your notes here on the page in Leviticus chapter 19. In the Old Testament, it was, it was an agricultural society. Do you know, did you know that God himself created a welfare system for the nation of Israel? 
And everybody was to be involved because the nation of Israel was, was under the theocratic rule of God. It was, it was government and, and religion were one and the same with the, with the nation of Israel. And so God created a way for every single Israeli family to provide for those who were in need. Look at your notes, Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Don't pick every grape. Don't pick every head of corn. Leave, the cor- leave some food on the edges. Nor shall you glean, gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard. You shall not gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the poor people of the day could walk through the fields of the faithful Jewish people who said, you know what? We don't need 100% of our grapes. We're going to leave 5% behind for the people that are hungry. So it was just understood. You could walk. You couldn't come with a basket and pile it up and take it home. But as you walked through somebody's vineyard or wheat field or cornfield or whatever it was, you could take and you could eat whatever you could have right there. What's my point? My point is this. It was prepared giving. It was deliberate. It wasn't knee-jerk and reactionary. It was actually anticipating there's going to be needs. Of course there's going to be needs. The people would know that. Of course there's going to be poor people. We're already making up our minds ahead of time. Before somebody comes knocking on our door asking for food, they already know it's out in the field because we all live that way. So grace giving is prepared giving. You don't want to have to decide at a sudden or difficult moment, am I a giver? I want to encourage you guys, and this isn't, this isn't so the church will have more money. This is so that you'll have a better life with Jesus. That's what this is about. I hope you guys believe that. Do you believe me? I'm the pastor. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> this is so that you will have a rich life of faith with God and experience the Christian life he wants you to have if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we invite you to meet him. But the, but the message for the body of Christ today is there's a Christian life that God wants you to live and it includes giving and you need to decide right now to be a giver. Or, or not. You don't lose your salvation if you decide to keep everything for yourself. You don't lose your salvation. But the richness of the Christian life is, is held back from you simply because you're not walking in faith and obedience. So it's kind of, kind of up to all, all of us to decide am I a giver or not. But if we are giving by the grace of God, it's, we're prepared. We already see ourselves as givers. Number three, on our notes down at the bottom of the first page, grace giving is done with a right attitude. Look at verses five and seven. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. So, Paul is very concerned that they don't feel pressured and manipulated. Look at also at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. If you like to mark your Bible, that's a great line. Whatever you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul did not want them to feel pressured by his arrival. He is their spiritual dad. If he shows up, I'm, going to be, I'm just going to create a hypothetical scenario. If he shows up with the offering plate, they're going to go, uh-oh, it's dad. Everybody dig deep, you know. There would be a kind of an unspoken pressure if the apostle Paul shows up, of course we better give. He didn't want any of that. He didn't want anybody to feel any kind of pressure at all. So he says, I'm sending my, my assistants. I'll come later after all that money business is done. I don't want to show up and have you feel weird. 
I apologize if any of you have ever been to a church that pressured you to give money. I apologize that you had to go through that. I feel bad about that. I've told you already last week, that will never happen here. And if whoever's the next pastor, if he does it, I'll, I'll come out of my grave and I'll give him a noogie on his head. That should never happen in the Christian, in the body of Christ. That should never happen. So Paul was very careful, very, very careful to not put any trips on anybody. He says, I don't want you to have to be resentful. When you, what happens when we give res- resentfully or grudgingly? Then we feel manipulated and I don't want to see that guy anymore and I don't want to go to that church anymore. And, and God, is this how you do things? Well, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. Because all this resentment builds up and all this negativity and, you know, who likes to be manipulated? I don't like being manipulated. You know, nobody likes that. And Paul was, Paul was all about that. If, we feel, if you ever feel manipulated by anybody, just keep it. Because what's supposed to happen, in, it's not just a matter of a, a transfer of funds, it's a matter of a transfer of your life. It's a heart thing, a heart thing absolutely. It's a heart thing. If the heart's not in it, it's better to wait till the heart's in it. He says God, God loves a cheerful giver uh, the Greek word is hilaron or hilaron, and it's the word from which we get hilariously. Now, we're not going to have a dance contest over by the offering box, okay? But it means to do it with joy. Why would somebody give away their money with joy? Because they would say, you know what? God, I know you're going to use this. In our church, uh, sister church that we planted in Viscaino, uh, we purchased a bus, and the way we purchased it in, T- in Tijuana. And what happens is that the, bus, the, the school districts in San Diego County, once they figure out that a bus isn't useful to them, uh, they ship them over across the border. And Victor, the missionary that we support in Rosarito, he, he said, hey, Pastor Bill, we need to get a bus. They're going to need a bus down there. I said, why do they need a bus? Well, a lot of the Mexican people don't have cars. They're migrant workers. They're, they, they're, they're dirt poor. They make a dollar an hour. They're living on slave wages almost. They don't have a car to come to church. And if you have a bus, you can have a bus ministry. I'm so, okay, Victor, let's show me what to do. So we go to this bus yard, and I take 5000 bucks that you guys offered, and we're, we went bus shopping. <laughs> and we found a bus, and we bought it, and we drove it down to Viscaino, and one of the brothers painted it. And that bus, I mean... It, it has served so well. There's, there's been probably, honestly, over the last, what, 15 years or 10 years or something, thousands of people, thousands of, of trips on that bus to people to go to church. So why would a Christian give away money to be sent to somewhere where they'll never go and to help people that they'll never meet? Because it's the kingdom of God. It's, the kingdom's, it's kingdom business. That's why you would say, I'll never go to Viscaino. I don't like dirt. I don't like flies. I don't like the heat. There's a million things I don't like. I like drinking water out of the tap. I can't do it down there. There's a million things I don't like about it, but I'm going to give this money because I know you're going to use it, and that makes me joyful, Lord. And it's the believing, and that's why we wanted to do this financial accountability thing with you. It's the believing that if you happen to give to, to this body of believers, that it's going to be well taken care of, and, you can, and it's going to be used well. And that's why you can be joyful because you don't have to micromanage it. You don't have to worry, well, are they going to spend the right way and all that? I mean, you should always be concerned of that. But guys, when you release it, you let it go. You let it go. And you don't try to micromanage it from a distance. 
So that's why we can give cheerfully. If you, if you give grudgingly, you never have that joy. If you give cheerfully and say, Lord, give those guys on the board wisdom <laughs> about how to spend that money. We're kind of getting, maybe needing another bus soon even or something like that, you know. We're building a house for Gary and Carrie so they can live in it and when their time's done, the next caretakers of the property can live on the church property. And t- it, it all gets used. So you can release it and go, oh man, thank you. I'll never know till I get to heaven, Lord, how you use that money. But I trust that you're going to. Grace giving is done generously, cheerfully, deliberately. We give. God wants us to be happy about it. The Macedonians in this story were insistent on giving, eager to give, though they didn't have a lot. The amount was not and is not important. It is to a certain degree, but the thing that's more important is the attitude. Look at verse 7. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. I would so encourage you to let that be a defining verse for you and your possessions. Let God give give you those parameters in your heart. Grace giving, number four, grace giving brings blessings to the giver. Look at verse six. This I say, he who spares sowingly, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The Apostle Paul here by the Holy Spirit gives an example of a farmer and he talks about a guy that throws seed. Now this is really easy. Farmer goes to the, to the store, goes to the seed store, and he buys this great bag of seed, and he's looking, he comes home and goes, honey, look at this bag of seed. Is this the most beautiful bag of seed you've ever seen? She goes, that's really nice, honey, now get out to work. <laughs> so he gets out there, and he goes, man, I just love these seeds. I'll just throw a few out there. I'm going to take this home and stare at it. I love this seed. This is amazing seed. I'm going to take it. You know, three months later, he's going, why don't I have a bunch of wheat? Because you didn't throw out the seed. <laughs> Seed is meant to be thrown. It doesn't make any sense to save the seed if he's got a field that's, that's been plowed and it's ready to receive and he could take the... By the way, did you know that if he sows the seed, how much more seed is he going to get back from the seed that he's sown? Now this is not... I'm not teaching... This isn't some health and wealth doctrine that I'm teaching. This is a general principle... And the blessings of God, when we give, the blessings of God come back many ways. Sometimes financially, certainly spiritually, certainly with a great satisfaction that, Lord, I put 20 bucks in the plate, but somehow you turned it into 200. And we got a great deal on the Bibles and we're giving away, your 20 bucks bought you know, $200 worth of Bibles and thank you, Lord, that somehow you multiplied it or whatever. The idea is that the farmer doesn't keep the seed and put it under glass and put it over the mantelpiece over the fireplace to admire. He takes what he has and he throws it. Because he knows the seed's going to go on the ground, it's going to die, but then it's exponentially, hundredfold or thousandfold, going to reproduce itself and be used. And that's how God uses the money that we give to him. You could bless one person with a $20 lunch, but that $20 lunch kept him actually from deciding to go under the bridge and and, and overdose himself and it kept him alive one more day and then he gets saved and, and then God uses him uh, to, to start a foster care program. That's not what Tom, Tom is. Uh, but God uses, God uses him to start a foster care program that, that ministers to hundreds of kids. That's how God exponentially multiplies what we give. We have no idea how God's going to use it in one life and one life affects 10 and 10 affects 100 and 100 affects 1,000. And you get up and stand before the Lord and 1,000 people come and shake your hand and it's like, What? And that one guy comes and goes, I was the first guy that you bought lunch for and the 999 behind me 
it trickled on down. Who couldn't be happy about that? That's why we can be cheerful givers. Because when the Lord gets a hold of it, he uses it. There's no guarantee that every person is going to respond to every effort that we make to, to evangelize or minister. But when it does happen, it's a beautiful thing. Why does the Christian give? Look at verse 8. Not for selfish reasons. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. We give not for selfish reasons, but so that we can have a sufficiency for all things and abundance for good works. So that you, somehow, God... You know, if God's going to entrust somebody with money to spend it for his kingdom, and you spend it for his kingdom, guess who, guess who he's going to entrust again with money to spend for his kingdom? If I have a business and, and I give, you know, three of you $100 to start up the business, and two of you use $100 and one of you wants to play it safe and keeps 50 for himself... Guess who the next $100 is going to go to? Not to you. Because you didn't use it in faith. You saved it. You were fearful. Parable of of the talents in in the Gospels. And so part of this, there's a principle here, guys. God is able, verse 8, to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God wants to to keep, keep equipping you so that you can have resources to serve him. Look at your notes, Proverbs 11. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. This is beautiful. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That's a, is gonna, is gonna, do we give to get rich? No. Wrong motivation. But as we give with the right motivation... The Lord has a way of making it reciprocal. Look what the King James Bible commentary says. Giving is a grace that has reciprocal benefits. And it, may not be, and it might not be financial, but it can be richness in the soul. As you realize, man, we didn't give much and it was sacrificial, but we sure are happy we did it. And now we're hearing those reports. What a, what a tremendous uh, report that Peggy got, Peggy Smith, from that one of those three sisters, right? What a tremendous report. You can't... You can't you can't make those things happen. And now one girl that was helped is helping multitudes more. What, what, a, what a joy for Tom and Peggy in that regard. That's how God multiplies the sowing of our seed. Verse 10 and 11. What is God's response? Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us. God is the one who supplies and multiplies the seed. The money in your pockets, because he gave you a brain to think with, lungs and air to breathe, a heart that pumps the blood, and initiative to get up and earn it. Yes, you get up and earn it, and that's wonderful. It's not good to be lazy or anything like that. But he's the one that creates all those things and the mechanics and the the realities of us having lives where we can earn it. And then we throw the seed. We throw the seed out. Throw it in a field. Don't throw it on the pavement. (laughs) But throw throw it. Throw the seed out as, as God purposes in your heart. Look at, look at down at the bottom. We're almost done here. There's a little Q&A. Why is money sown into his kingdom? Answer, to bring forth fruit in a harvest. That's, that's why, as Paul pointed out, with the missions money, it comes in and it goes out. We don't save a bit of it. It's not, 
It's designed, that money is designed to be spent, not to save. Unless we're saving it so we can spend a bunch of it at one time. Why do we have a savings account? Well, there's some wisdom there. The Proverbs teaches savings also. If we ever do have to leave here, hopefully we can you know, maybe have first and last month's rent at another facility and whatever. But the money is there. Part of it, it's there to spend. The seed is there to be sown. Finally, look at your notes down at the bottom. I won't refer to the, to the verses. If you have any questions, I'd love to try to answer them as we come to the close here. Grace giving brings glory to God. Verses 12 and 15, it supplies people's needs and then they're thankful. As you give to the Lord and people get blessed, we're hoping and praying about doing a back-to-school carnival for the school across the street, trying to make that happen. We're not going to do a crusade and we're not going to preach, but we're going to supply some needs. They know what's coming from a church. They know what, they know what we're about. And some of them may say, you know what? I like your life. I like your God. I'm thankful. Grace giving validates that a life and a ministry is directed towards God. One of the, one of the markers of a spirit-led life is that, that it's a giving life. Not selfish and full of faith and with a big view in mind and with eternity in mind. Letter C, grace giving turns people's hearts towards God to glorify him. The generosity can, can melt someone's heart. Grace giving encourages people to pray for those who give. When you give to somebody, especially in person, they, they will often pray for you in gratitude. Finally, Verse 14, let me read that as we close. If you have any questions. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. The exceeding grace of God in the Corinthians was that they were ready to give. And it created a bond and it created a oneness. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What are the five things? Grace giving provokes others to give. Number two, grace giving is prepared giving. Number three, grace giving is done with the right attitude. Number four, grace giving brings blessings to the giver. Number five, grace giving brings glory to God. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff. And do not forget the wonderful uh, verse in chapter 8, verse 9. Jesus is our example. Though he was rich, he made himself, he made himself poor so that by his poverty death on the cross, we would become rich. Jesus is always the example, always.